Peter Radio presents the legendary Pink Dots Project Podcast with me, Adam Wybray, my co-host, Tom May. Episode 3. Bright now, atomic roses and feminism. So, Brighter Now is, to my ears, more relationship-focused. So, it's quite a goth album, moments of high romantic melodrama. Uh, I can imagine listening to it in in a castle. Um, If I I next visit a castle, I'll make sure to put this, actually, on, on my Kindle on my phone to listen to. Brighter Now begins with Red Castles. Surely out of the new tracks, the one that would fit most appropriately on the previous cassette-only releases, with its flattened low-key sound and lyrics that place grubby pubs along Arthurian imagery, with a pleasing piece of wordplay in A tramp chews a dog end, a dog chews a tramp. I find it all somewhat structureless, however. Louder After Six is more intriguing, an ironically jaunty ditty about surveillance, the Kremlin, and phone tapping. This is warped 1980s elevator music, with wry humour replacing dour prophecy. It even contains a jabbering medley of sped-up chipmunk voices a la Joe Meek. Louder After Six is affable, with its loping rhythm and curious, paranoid scenario. I liked the post-John Fox proto-Ghostbusters synth flourishes around the two-minute mark. Like Red Castles, it is compressed and tidy compared to the version on Chemical Play School 1 and 2. The glugging crawl of Louder After Six is replaced by a loosened up pop song of sorts. For me, an advance. It's quite a spacious sounding album compared to Only Dreaming, Chemical Play School and Klein Creek from 81. It's quite an intimate album in its way. Yes, yeah, it's, it's sort of smoothly produced, but yeah, very intimate and domestic feeling. I think, yeah. Ned Raggett of All Music um, says that the sound is mm. among the sparest of any of their releases, and in many ways, as a tentative effort, there's more product of its time than anything else. I mean... It was released as a cassette before its official LP release in 82, and the cassette release was limited to 300 copies. So it has, I mean, you know, there's a lot of musicians credited. So obviously you have Edward and Phil Knight, Roland Calloway's on bass here, Michael Marshall's doing keyboard and guitars, uh, you've got Keith Thompson on drums, Rick Chevrolet on guitar, and April White is here on keyboard. Yeah. But the song has definitely given more space to breathe. Like I feel like for listeners who are more into that kind of ambient goth music, big, open, hollowed-out tracks. Yeah, I think it 
it sort of focuses on uh yeah the the problems of being enclosed as well being too domestic in a way with red castles and, and other tracks like shutting out the sun and though i made links in the original review to uh noah's castle which is a 1980 children's series based on a very dark children's book by john Rowe townsend uh, sort of dystopian near future britain uh, where there's this dad who barricades his family in the, in the family home it seemed that that story was pretty prevalent around that time. Um, maybe it's partly the Cold War fears of nuclear war type thing as well. But there was also a play for today called uh, The Remainder Man by Philip Martin. It has quite a similar story. But yeah, I mean, you've got, uh, I'm not sure which track it is. Is it Louder After Six? Where uh, uh, there's the line tapping the phone again. In some cases, well-founded paranoia because a lot of this stuff was going on, obviously. Yeah, I think some of the angst in the album is rooted in, I guess, that hope that in politically difficult and scary times you can turn to your loved one or significant other and that two will be better than one, that you'll find some healing and some respite. Um, but this is quite a soured dream and brighter now, um, that often it seems that people who have tried to escape from loneliness into a relationship have ended up more lonely and more isolated. So sing. Sing while you may. So this, this one also has City Ghosts again. Isn't it? Which is a very vividly produced. Yeah, there's there's the wedding as well, which is very sort of grave and somber track. Um, sort of talking about this all as a game, really. You know, the next move in the game. Yeah, I guess it's that Cold War game theory playing out in people's relationships. Zero sum philosophies. Dominic Cummings type stuff, yeah. But yeah, I think I'd choose... Am I choosing the track for Brighter now? Yes, it's your call. Okay, well, I will choose Legacy then, because it's my favourite production of it on Brighter now. It's the most, the most rich and uh, heart-bearing. I mean... I think with different production, this could be the legendary Pink Dots' power ballad. Absolutely. I think it's an <laughs> excellent choice. Seconded. The flat was empty Wondered where you'd gone And all the time The answer was in front of me Took your clothes Left the little Tell-tale signs seem so obvious now 
way I felt about you It's blinded me And all those fights we had Seem so childish now Just wish I could turn the clock back Anyhow, anyway Why do we have to be so humble, mumble words we never mean? asks Carspell. With the production of the album cleaner and sparser than has come before, the simplicity of the music is very effective, and this might be one of the most directly moving songs in the Dot's early catalogue. Apocalypse Then gave me a daft silly grin the first time I heard it. It is deceptively atmospheric, but reveals downright daft lyricism with attentive listening. I'm certain Carspell coins the phrase hot like custard and even allows himself the diabolically rubbish pun demo demo crazy democracy. (sighs) As with the dots generally though, humour and horror are kept in stark juxtaposition. A line about helter-skelter in the lift shaft had me wondering whether a deliberate reference to the Manson family murders was being made. Probably. However, any darkness or commentary in the song seems a bit too on the nose to be taken entirely seriously. It all ends in chanted Zig Hales. After the earlier pun, democrazy, and mention of the last day, a contemporary political edge emerges. The Thatcher sample from an earlier album regarding the IRA hunger strike is reused on top of minor key synth chords. This being 1982, Carspell is responding to the baleful impact of Thatcher's Falklands War-inspired ascendancy in British culture and politics. No one really gave a damn 
they were thinking only of themselves. The end section is a justly bitter tirade. Characteristically, legendary pink dots provide premonition four before one, two, and three. A rendition of the perennial English nursery rhyme, Ring a Ring a Roses, unfurls. There's more earnestness brought to the table with Legacy, which contains the kind of confessional, tragic, romantic songwriting affected by the cure on disintegration in 1989. Legacy is followed by the lovely City Ghosts, which is one of those songs that just works. Carspell is at his most melodic, even delicate and boyish, as he sings about taking magic mushrooms in a forest with a companion, friend or possible lover with powder in his pocket that cries, eat me, like a pastry out of Alice. Brilliantly, the music cuts out for the line, face facts, face the real world. The eternal sentiment chanted by serious-minded adults that turns teenagers to stone. The song, which begins so innocent and free, ends in the paranoia of experience, with the fear of being locked up and institutionalised for childish transgressions. It is a beautiful energy for the end of youth, and my personal favourite on the album. Thematically, City Ghosts is grouped with Hanging Gardens, a song that coincidentally shares a name with a track off The Cure's pornography, which also makes authority sound like the absolute enemy of freedom and poetry and beauty. Behind the signature LPD electronics, there's a refreshingly organic piece of acoustic fingerstyle guitar. Yeah. 
Oddly, if one looks at just the lyrics rather than listening to the song, Hanging Gardens reads like a particularly arty and abstract Irish murder ballad. I liked Brighter Now. Uh, while this is not particularly exciting, given the familiarity of the material, listening to all the albums in order, there is much worthwhile refashioning. Carspell continues to cast densely elusive, surreal incantations with precise emotional and political meanings to be discerned. Majors barked and marching music laughed from the airwaves. The waves were there to rule again. And then it's all over. And while there have been a handful of wonderful songs, the overall effect just about fails to be greater than the sum of its part. Brighton Out is a little slight. It gratifies, but without the grandeur or intensity of which the dots are capable. So the album that comes after this is Atomic Roses, and ostensibly you get a repetition of some of the tracks that have come before, but on the Bandcamp page, um, someone, probably Carl Spell, has written, there is a thread that runs through this original concept album. And this idea of making an original concept album out of tracks and snippets of tracks and reworkings of tracks that have appeared on previous non-concept albums is something we'll return to with uh, Basilisk. But, yeah, I was wondering what you think the thread that runs through Atomic Roses is. I hadn't identified one. Well, I hadn't read that, actually, but yeah. Yeah, well, I, I was like, it's a concept album, is it? <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe the thread is the threat of Atomic War, the Could thread be. of the film Threads. I mean, the atomic part of it is that, and then maybe the roses is is the kind of relationship stuff, but... Yeah, I think we, we rightly mentioned threads and uh, when the wind blows um, as key sort of intertext for the title track, uh, Atomic Roses, uh, which is very apocalyptic, but with these great gadding synths. And then there's a very arthritic, dank, plodding sort of, sort of sound after that. That might be the next track, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, Probably my choice for it would be uh, exactly as I said, really, in the original review, uh, Haupt van Hoff, um, Central Station. On his raincoat 
to the Muzak, indeed. So it's a very Balladian uh, track. And he's inhaling to the Muzak, and then the great pun, cops are dating to the Muzak as well. 
<laughs> later on that you have in there. Um, I think it's that's, it's a great track. It's, it's it's towards the start, isn't it? That one, I think. Yeah. Of part two. Part two, I think, is for me a lot stronger. I think really consistent. Part two. Part one just seemed a bit less interesting to me. Yeah, it does come together more as it goes on. Yeah, and this ideal home um, works really well in this context. Uh, well, it's this lines like pushing in the acid bar <laughs> uh, and references to Apollo, Zeus, um, and some mysterious Angeline. Uh, use of a vocoder actually is very notable in a lot of these early records. It's very well used. You know, you often hear it in things like uh, ELO mm. in the early 80s. Again, well used for a more pop type purpose by ELO. But yeah, it's, it's, it sounds very, very early 80s, that vocoder sounds, yeah, I think, in a fairly good way. Still Scared Talking Children's Horror is a podcast by myself and Ren Wednesday in which we explore spooky children's books, films and TV. You can find it on Podigy, iTunes and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Atomic Roses This is a muted record, enveloped in a familiar LPD murk, only more so. This is epitomised by the slow, rudimentary drift of of all the girls and the subdued 4-4 crawl of wrong impedance. Then there's the somewhat fatigued canter of what's next and it all seems a tad negligible and muffled. I do rather like the lambent Eno-style glide of play school which evokes preschool memories of that BBC programme and is embossed with a vocoderized voice musing on World War II, Montgomery, Eisenhower, Churchill and the Normandy campaign. Also appealing is the 19 second splinter Passing Thought which evokes the sound world of the Ghost Box label 25 years early. Atomic Roses Part 1 is doleful and hazy. Part 2 is given over to insectoid murk. Best here is Hauptbahnhof, German for Central Station. This is closest to the reflective model of legacy with archetypally startling imagery coiling alluringly around simple, sustained synth chords. Carspell's lyrics wryly discuss Muzak in Ballardian terms. Uh, Mark Fisher has described the ambient dubstep figure Burial creating an unheimlich muzak, an elevator music from a ghost hotel. As with Stars on 45, Carspell seems drawn to mainstream cultural preoccupations but views them from his own unique vantage point. You wouldn't expect it to be associated with passion, dating or sex, yet he does just this perhaps indicating the subliminal insidious impact of this maligned phenomenon of Muzak. 
Uh, the song also conveys a drizzly Britishness with its apathetic epitaph section, evoking the dour gloom of the wedding. While Atomic Roses generally doesn't enthrall me, it seems impossible for Edward Carspell and co. to produce a release without any interest. While it is excessively low-key, it does contain fewer rehashes than some other early releases, some fascinating fragments, and one song to enter the LPD pantheon of honeyed queasiness. Hauptbahnhof Unusually, Atomic Roses is an album that, upon first listening, was actively improved by the harsh metallic squealing of trains passing by on the tracks outside the student accommodation where I lived. I imagine this could also be true of Tom Waits' Bone Machine, but I am yet to check. I am reminded of listening to Radiohead's Kid A during an MRI scan and finding that the rumbling clunks emitted by the machinery sat quite nicely alongside the general cacophony of the national anthem. Atomic Roses holds a junk heap quality. The songs, merging into one another, are often prickly and unresolved, like an unmade bed or a rash. The album provides disconsolate mood music, suiting its themes of bad sex, nuclear apocalypse, and emotional discomfort. And while I certainly didn't find Atomic Roses to be as troubling as 1991's remarkable, yet distinctly unpleasant, The Maria Dimension, it emitted a fair amount of bad vibes into my room. Like The Maria Dimension, Atomic Roses sometimes approaches space rock, though the limited mixing and post-production equipment available to the Dots in the early 80s 
means that the album never sounds convincingly cosmic or otherworldly. The music is both crystalline and sludgy, tripping across blips and glitches. It's elusive, tetchy landscape music that is not always wholly gratifying. Delayed pleasures. You also get the sense that at this point in their early career, Carspell had rather more lyrical ideas than the Dots had musical ones. Several past tracks are recycled, but now overlaid with new vocals. The Wrong Impotence takes music from Louder After Six, while Sex is a revisiting of another kind of violence. Carspell, as ever, displays some formidable poetic chops. Closet Kings is a brilliant evisceration of masculinity, and what would now be called rape culture. What's Next tells the story of an inexplicable suicide epidemic, anticipating both Junji Ito's gruesome one-shot manga Falling, and M. Night Shyamalan's 2008 exploitation thriller The Happening. The Dots' effort is on a par with the former, and considerably better than the latter. One thing I enjoy about the generally murky and indiscernible sound of the album is that it achieves an enveloping soundscape effect in which new songs emerge from the darkness, like phantasms out of the fog. Briefly there, then gone. This is perhaps what led my friend Rachel to feel that the album sounded like the music you get at the beginning of a ride at a theme park. However, a ghost train based around Atomic Roses would be dismal and underlit. The plastic skeletons broken by the tracks. Oil on the seat of the cart. Ultimately, Atomic Roses sounds like a field recording from a post-apocalyptic wasteland. It is music with a long half-life. Decayed music. Premonition, um, a great name for an album, um, one that rhymes with apparition, which followed. Um, I've written in my notes an unsettled album with some epic high romance courtesy of Michael Marshall. Yeah, I've got, I've got a lot more notes for it than Brighton, well, Brighton Now did really like, but didn't have many notes on it, and Atomic Roses, you know, I've got about double the number of notes. I mean, I think Michael Marshall's quite romantic guitar playing um, is mm. pretty front and centre here. Um, it's perhaps the first Dots album. I mean, I think you can really hear April White in those early albums. Um, it makes sense that she was one of yeah. the three founding members, um, because I think her keyboards are really essential, those looping keyboard melodies and kind of lilt, mil, lilting melancholy, yeah, 
um, and then her vocals are really crucial. Obviously, with the dots, there are times where it very much has been Edward Caswell and Phil Knight's vehicle, and that's what you can mainly hear. I think Premonition is an album where it feels like you, you can hear more people in the mix, um, particularly Michael Marshall. Yeah, it's odd, I think, that that track mm. in particular. Really uh, excellent guitar work on that. Yeah, I think maybe that might be the track to play and just to exhibit that, really. Thank you. 
I mean, the, although I would also argue for uh, Dying for the Emperor, uh, which is, it returns to that frenetic um, sort of 1981-style dots track, doesn't it? But um, as I think you were saying in the review, was it based on a real case of somebody uh, playing Space Invaders? Oh, yeah. So much that they, they died Yeah, I think it was. <laughs> I think I did read that. Um, I mean... Dying for the Emperor, Emperor, Emperor's great, but I do think it feels a little out of place here. Like, it is a bit different to the rest of the album. Yeah, I like how it yeah, it feels. It's sort of partly that it's, that it's maybe drawn on that very real case, but also that the way that the what's happening in the game mirrors the sort of tabloid uh, press attacks on, on immigrants, mm. really. Um, you know, gotta de- gotta destroy the aliens, gotta destroy the aliens, this sort of imperative that's there. Um that it has that sort of 
that symbolism to it, that other other level that you can read, which I think lends it a lot of power as well, that track. I hadn't actually, I, for some reason, I hadn't actually even thought of that. I think, um, I mean, because I've, I've had my own experiences of hypnotically playing Space Invaders, like, uh, weirdly listening to Weezer's Pinkerton. <laughs> um, like, <laughs> I don't know why. But, album. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, I, I don't think it's necessary to, unless you're playing Space Invaders, because... I'll bear that in mind. Yeah. Something about the rhythms of that album. My housemate at the time owned it, and so I put it on, and it seemed to sync up entirely with Space Invaders and I got into this really good flow state I managed to play for like an hour and a half without dying <laughs> like I'm not normally very good at arcade games but somehow Pinkerton <laughs> gave me the power to be really good at Space Invaders for just one day I've never been able to repeat this <laughs> have, you have you tried many times? Um, I've, I've tried a few times since but I'm, I'm more of a Pac-Man player This girl's just dropped a million, he's killing them a winner though He's getting so much thinner and beginning to see stars Starts to matter, eyelids flutter on the point of passing out He's gotta destroy the aliens, gotta destroy the aliens It's painful when he's doing well and still breaking from breathing and drag entirely sure whether the premonition I have listened to is the complete or correct version. Websites such as Discogs, RateYourMusic.com and the All Music Guide don't agree on a definitive track listing. It opens with the air of a horror film soundtrack and the sort of backwards voices we have heard and will go on to hear. Premonition is another bit player of a release and does rather get me desiring that elusive whole album of new material. We have vocoderized utterances, that hazy, woozy, stentorian organ sound. Facile plays on words. Scenes like this. Caesar lives. Brief sample-based ambience with muffled newsreader reports of extraditions and hijackers. 
there are no problem with any of these things other than that they begin to seem like stocks in trade, cliches even, when used so frequently within the LPD's 1981 to 82 oeuvre. I like how the delay is applied though to clanging percussion in a brief section of Premonition 2, a nod to dub reggae, so significant an influence on British music in 1978-1982. Odd has its charms. Such gently ambling guitar, the section from 1 minute 37 to 2 minutes 10 is particularly to my taste with wistful chords and a momentary lone whistle. The voice muses about a loony while reflecting that he is seen as one himself, though this low-key nugget loses some focus with the intervention of reversed and garbled chipmunk voices which add precious little. Most impressive on Premonition is Oceans of Emotion which spins a tale of communication lapses and dying dreams. Seashells place to ears and graceful deaths like Cleopatra. This has a notable energy beside the repetitive lethargic inertia found elsewhere. There is a striking drum roll and build-up that sounds commercial and forward. Those frenzied, trebly hi-hats. Perhaps such a move was the most truly avant-garde to undertake at this juncture. Some of the experimental stuff just seems hackneyed in context. Premonition 1, following Premonition 4, which we heard on Brighter Now, is merely mildly odd next to the genuinely out there breakdown from Chemical Play School 1 and 2. This makes for somewhat lumpy psychedelic pottage compared to that weirdies almanac of a track. This isn't a bad record, it just tantalises a little too much with its periodic hinting at vaster reserves. Don't forget the dogs! Good for late night listening, this one. The tracks roll into one another, reprising medleys from previous albums. It is a slight but pleasing experience that retains the listener's attention, albeit in spite of the somewhat aimless structure of some of the music. In some ways, Premonition anticipates 1994's The Tower, inasmuch as there is a sense of narrative progression across some of the tracks. So, the album's second song, Splash, which evokes suburban ennui from the outdoor swimming pool, a la Mike Nichols' The Graduate, 1967, with John Cheever's short story The Swimmer, segues into the underwater submerged. As ever with Carspell's lyrics, there is a strong impression of place, communicated through the most minimal of brushstrokes. Amphitheatre and Amphitheatre Shuffle follow, again two successive tracks closely linked by name. Amphitheatre is less listless than the songs preceding it, and indeed sounds oddly bouncy, despite our vocalists' talk of millions dying, both rich and poor. Carspell sounds really alone out there, singing in the proverbial amphitheatre, hemmed in by oppressive cheers from an eerily robotic audience. Despite its being but a brief experimental track, I really enjoyed Amphitheatre Shuffle, which includes a gratifying, synthesised sound that perfectly hits the sweet spot in my brain. 
This may be an obscure reference, but it recalled for me the soundtrack of the classic British adventure game Simon the Sorcerer. I can imagine a cave of pixelated dwarfs mining away contentedly to this song. Before the end provides the listener with an interrogation of normality. One might think of Philip Larkin's wedge-shadowed gardens under a cavernous, wind-picked sky, or the banal nursing-home horrors of B.S. Johnson's bleakly humorous house-mother normal. Intruder is an unpleasant, scrappy tune about a little abject mess. It reminded me of the horrible bodies by the Sex Pistols. After listening to Premonition, I happened to read a review and watch the end of an episode of the 1976 British horror anthology show Beasts, called Baby, about a mother who falls victim to witchcraft. Her diabolical offspring, heard here, could have been the subject of Intruder with its body horror theme. Tonally, Premonition covers a lot of ground. Elsewhere on the album, we hear Carswell indulge typically late 20s nostalgia for lost adolescent relationships. Oceans of Emotion, for example, is unashamedly angsty. A lover takes her own life, and the young man left behind asks his departed sardonically and rhetorically, Weren't you just a little hasty? A tube train just does nothing for your figure. Finally, the seven minutes long Premonition 2 is deeply lovely in places. It includes a gorgeous piece of unaffected fingerstyle guitar. I love when organic sounds break through in the dots more electronic early records, as happens here. So, Premonition is certainly a good listen and relaxing in places due to its brainwave generator style sleepy tones. However, while it would be unfair to accuse the dots of being in a creative rut during this period of their career, early days, they were beginning to repeat themselves.
another one I had uh, a note on was um, Oceans of Emotion as, as excellent um, as well. Yeah, Oceans of Emotion is excellent. I did wonder if some of that could could go in the background uh, behind our reviews for the album. Mm. Yeah, because that's another, that's a lovely track. Yeah, I think here in Premonition, I'm going to reuse the music, the new lyrics, and vocals really works. Um, like, it's an odd album. Um, I, I do think it still has that unsettled quality um, that marks Atomic Roses to me. But, um, yeah, I would say... I'd say it's one I recommend. Um, I, do, I do like Premonition. Cool. Okay, well, should we do the next three and then we'll finish off? Yeah. Well, um, the next two, next I'll, three. I'll um, well, we're now, we're now almost... So that's about 20, yeah. 25 so, minutes. You know, I say I can be... Obviously, I'm intending to cut it up a bit and uh, edit it down a bit. Sing, sing while you may. 